So open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6, Jeremiah chapter 6. We're going through chapter by chapter uh, in this book. Jeremiah was a prophet of Israel. And uh, Israel was, uh, this was a time in Israel's history, actually uh, the divided kingdom had already happened. You might remember that under King Saul, King David, King Solomon, Israel was united, all 12 tribes, and then there was a great split and a great division, which went into the northern tribes and the southern tribes, and for many years they operated, each having separate kings, totally separate countries. And uh, both of them, both countries, went astray, had very evil kings, uh, especially Israel, but God, God sent messengers to warn them to come back to Him, and uh, Israel and Judah... The two, two nations, neither of them listened. Uh, and Israel had already been judged. 722 B.C. was the final fall of, uh, of the northern tribes and went into Syrian captivity, uh, Syria actually, and then uh, and now, the only, so we only have Judah left. And, and now God has already sent prophets to warn them that the, their, their fate was going to be the same as as the other, you know, Israel, if they didn't walk with him, they embraced the gods of the Canaanites. They did everything God didn't want them to do. They forgot they were in a relationship with Yahweh. They forgot that they were his chosen people and were dedicated and separated to him. And yet they acted and lived like the pagans around them, worshiped the gods of the Canaanites and, and the Amorites and so forth. And so God has sent prophets along, and now he sends their last best hope, I guess you could say, uh, and that was Jeremiah. And Jeremiah would come, and he would warn them. Uh, and there's a lot, of, a lot of things that are going on here that are repeated. Uh, Jeremiah had a lengthy ministry. And by the way, just keep in mind, if you ever think, man, this is a long series, just remember that this series is probably going to be less than a year, or less than two years, Jeremiah ministered, he was preaching these things for many, many years, upwards of 20 years. So uh, keep that in mind. But they needed to hear this. They did not appreciate it. And I've said that many of the commentators point out that Jeremiah did not have one convert. Can you imagine how discouraging that must have been? So today we are, again, no new theme. It's an old theme. And it's, it's about this unnamed, up to this point, other than a location, an unnamed enemy that is going to come from the north. That's all it's identified as. And it has been mentioned over and over again. And we're only in chapter 6. And now Jeremiah comes to the same thing. And he warns about this enemy from the north that's going to come. And he picks up on the same themes. And what I notice, and what you and I will notice tonight in these verses, chapter 6, verses 22 through 26, it seems that Jeremiah is working very hard to instill what seems to be the fear of man, specifically the fear of this enemy, the northern kingdom, the northern country, which we, would now, we will know eventually will be Babylon, King Nebuchadnezzar, but it sure seems like he's telling them to fear this great enemy. 
I want to back up for a little bit because I want to get perspective tonight. Why, if the fear of man is such a bad thing, and it is, why is Jeremiah spending so much time painting this picture that this country, this country from the north is going to come, you need to be afraid. I want to remind you what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Remember this? Fear not them which kill the body. Okay, that would be King Nebuchadnezzar and the entire Babylonian army, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Another verse, Proverbs 29 and verse 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth their trust in the Lord shall be safe. There is in the scriptures a seeming contradiction when it comes to fear. Jesus said, again, don't fear man. And yet Jeremiah sure seems to be encouraging them to fear. Sometimes fear is painted as a good thing. Sometimes fear is painted as a bad thing. What gives? What's going on here? And it's very important that you and I learn the lesson. Fear in and of itself is not necessarily a bad thing. Now, fear can be a bad thing. You know, the Bible says um, the fear... Uh, in fact, let me turn to 1 John chapter 4 so I, I say it perfectly because I didn't put this one in my notes. 1 John chapter 4... It says, there, um, 1 John 4, 18, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. Is, that a, is torment a good thing? No. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. So that's clearly, in that situation, fear is a bad thing. Fear hath torment. And, and you know, perfect love casts out fear. So we want to... We want to get some perspective tonight. We want to talk about good fear and bad fear. And I submit to you that there is a benefit in having the right kind of fear. Fear does something to us that without it, we would otherwise overlook. If fear does something that brings certain things to our attention. So let's talk about fear generically. I had mentioned uh, just a week or two ago about, uh, and I forget when it was, mentioned Ronald Reagan. He was brought up at the Benz conference the other day, and uh, they even put a picture of him up there. Uh, but for those of you that were here, we mentioned, uh, and for those of you that would even remember this or were alive at that time, Ronald Reagan, uh, the, um, the PATCO uh, airstrike, there was a, threat, a group of, of a multitudes of people uh, were, were threatening to strike, which would have shut down the skies, would have caused great problems. There were tens of thousands of workers that were, uh, that were picketing and on strike. And, and Ronald Reagan was the president, and he made a strong exhortation. He said, he gave my three days, I remember, three days, if you don't go back to work, you're all fired. That's tough words, isn't it? And a lot of people didn't believe him. And when the three days were up, 
think it was over 51,000 people, thousands of people lost their jobs. And a lot of people, of course, a lot of people criticized. People are going to criticize you no matter what, if you're the president. But he actually was a man of his word who could make tough choices. And, and in the book, When Character Was King, Peggy Noonan uh, made the observation that that was the best um, foreign policy action that Ronald Reagan ever did. Why? Because foreign leaders saw that, that President Reagan meant what he said, and they took notice. What is that? That's fear. See, if you fear a political leader, like even Nebuchadnezzar, it might cause you to, to sit up and take notice. I'm not sure if you read. We have a, a dear brother that loves the Jewish people and um, has a newsletter. He was here recently. I can't name him. Uh, but he uh, has a newsletter called the Shalom Shofar. Some of you hope you're on the mailing list. But in the October issue, when the war was began in Israel, here's what he wrote in the Shofar. He said, a ground offensive has begun, and the United States government is flexing its muscle and issuing warnings to a group that laughs at us. Largely because as soon as the current administration took office, it showed weakness in dealing with Hamas, and more tragically, Iran. The Middle East players don't understand nuance. They, don't, they understand only force and might. And our country doesn't seem to understand this. Israel is saying what it needs to in public, but believes it stands alone and is accordingly preparing for the next steps. That's sad. Mm -hmm. In other words, there's people that are looking at our tough words... And they're not flinching because they don't believe it. And there's another people that need our help but don't believe we're going to come to their aid. Because, again, this idea of, of, some, of, of power, of strength. So let's jump in and let's look at our text here. And, and we're going to talk about fear, good fear, bad fear. Verse 22 and 23, we see the tactic. God's warning of what, a, what is ahead. And clearly, Jeremiah is trying to instill fear in people. Fear. And then the next one in verse 24 and 25, it's the experience. He's actually telling them, here's, what's gonna, here's what your response is going to be. You are going to panic. And he's saying this ahead of time. Because he's trying to get a response from them before the events unfold. Because they have an opportunity to set things straight. And then finally, Jeremiah gives them the right response on what, how they're supposed to respond. Again, how can we avoid this? And he shares it. Again, these words would fall on deaf ears. But look at verse 22. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, a people cometh from the north. Here we go again. Jeremiah has mentioned this so much. Just listen to some of the previous things we've looked at before. In Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 13 and following. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying the second time, saying, What seest thou? And I said, I see a seething pot, and the face thereof is toward the north. Then the Lord said unto me, Out of the north an evil shall break forth upon all the inhabitants of the land. And then he goes on, the boiling pot pouring over from the north. Jeremiah 4, chapter 4 and verse 6. 
Set up the standard toward Zion. Retire, stay not. For I will bring evil from the north and great destruction. Jeremiah 6, the chapter we're in now, verse 1. O ye children of Benjamin, gather yourselves to flee out of the midst of Jerusalem and blow the trumpet in Tekoa and set up a sign of fire in Bethesarim. For evil appeareth, where? Out of the north. And great destruction. Look at verse 23 of Jeremiah, where we're at. Jeremiah 6, 23. They shall lay hold on bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. Their voice roareth like the sea, and they ride upon horses, set in array as men for war against thee, O daughter of Zion. Now, would you not agree? These are not words to soothe someone, are they? These are words intended to instill fear. So let's back up for a minute again. Let's talk about fear. How could fear be a good thing? If fear has torment, and if you only look at one aspect of something, you'll, you'll get a distorted view. So let's back up for a minute. I want to bring you back to a scene where Moses was going up into the, up into the mountain and you may, may remember that the people had been wandering and they came upon Mount Sinai and Moses had been up there for a time. The people were getting restless. And all of a sudden, there was lightning and thundering and, and the earth quaked. And, and it was a very, very intimidating sight as Moses came down. Moses had just met with God. And the sights and the sounds... Think about the earthquake, this, this, this trembling, the smoke. I mean, it was very intimidating sight. And the people trembled. The people were humanly afraid. And Moses said the most interesting thing to them in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 20. And it almost sounds contradictory. So he's talking to the multitude of people, the Jews... And they are, they are trembling in fear. Probably visible on their faces and their actions and their posture. And he begins the first two words. Fear not. It would be like us saying, don't be afraid. Well, that's nice. That's calming. But what's interesting is what he says after that. Fear not. For God has come to prove you or to test you. God has come to prove you. And that his fear may be before your faces. Wait a minute. I thought Moses just said, fear not. And now he's saying, God has come to prove you so that you will fear him. Basically is what he's saying. Is that a contradiction? Some would, those that are real, they're very eager to write off the scriptures. That's all they need. They need, they need, if they, they maybe there are some online, they're hearing me say that and they're seeing these contrasts. And that's all they need. And immediately, see that? The Bible's filled with contradictions and they walk away. And they no longer consider God's word. But I submit to you that every time there is a seeming contradiction in the Bible, it's simply because of our lack of knowledge and we need to study it out. And this whole idea of fear is a very important topic that we need to get hold of. Israel needed to get hold of it. The Jews, Judah, needed to get hold of it at this time. And Jeremiah is preaching to them because they're not fearing 
God. They're not fearing God at all. They're not, and because of that, they are going to experience the terror of God using his instruments of people. You know, it's interesting that fear causes an intensified awareness of the thing that is feared. Isn't that true? Think about the phobias. I, I, I took a look again at some of the phobias. There are so many weird phobias. Um, so let me share some of these with you. Misophobia. Anybody know what MISO or MISO, M-Y-S-O, misophobia is? What's that? You'd think it would be mice, wouldn't you? But it's the fear of dirt. Uh, hydrophobia. You, you should know that one. The fear of water. Now some... There, it, Water can be very intimidating, can it? Can it? I think back to the tsunami, the Boxing Day or the Christmas tsunami. I forget when. It was in 2004, right around December 25th, 24th. Um, I, I will never get over that because there is a lot of video available that's online very clearly of the tsunami. Uh, and, and you just see that. You see helpless people that don't stand a chance. Can you imagine living through that tsunami, losing loved ones, and having the, the image of water just, water is so powerful, just destroying everything in its past and taking it out to sea. And I imagine there are people that live through that, that uh, now have hydrophobia. And I mean, they, you can understand, they have now a heightened awareness of water and what it can do. Acrophobia is the fear of high places. I've got a certain degree of that. My son's going to be doing jump school. I assume you did jump school probably. No, you did not. Okay. Uh, I cannot imagine jumping out of a plane. I, yeah, you have a parachute. Uh, do you remember when, when you were in high school or when you were younger and you had to climb the ropes? I remember that in elementary school. And I remember getting like three feet off the ground and I was petrified. Now, I eventually learned to climb the ropes, but height can be a very, very scary thing. Here's some other, these are, here's some, there's some weird ones. Poor, poor, fro, poor phyrobia. Poor phyrobia. Anybody know what that is? The fear of the color purple. What? Is that something to be afraid of? That, uh, thalassophobia is the fear of being seated. Wow, thalassophobia. Stabisbosphobia is the fear of standing and walking. Graphophobia is the fear of writing in public places. And then there is actually something called phobophobia, the fear of being afraid. Can you imagine that? But you know what? When you and I, when people get those phobias, they have a heightened awareness. Yea, they are now intimidated with whatever it is that they have that fear. Fear hath torment. Torment grabs our attention. And to some degree, folks, fear can be a good thing because there are certain things that if there were no motivation, we would tend to ignore them, ignore things that should not be ignored, some of you might remember, this is a long time ago, uh, they had a campaign to get people aware of the importance of seatbelts, and they had the 
crash test dummies. Remember that? And they'd show pictures of the crash test dummies being slammed and what would happen to the person that was not wearing a seatbelt and their whole purpose. You say, that's mean. Those people are, are they're trying to scare people and they're showing what can happen to them. Folks, that was that was that really mean? Yes, they were using fear as a tactic because they wanted to save people's lives. If you're not wearing a seatbelt, you get you your your chances of survival are a whole lot less in a car accident. Isn't that true? Absolutely. Fear can be a good thing because it brings our attention to something. The Jews in Jeremiah's day needed to have a wholesome fear of God, and they did not. I was talking to my son, Benjamin, the other day, and he was sharing with me that he was sitting at his computer, and he, was, he, he came across a video or a, or a news thing, and I think it was kind of old, but he was reading about someone that was sitting in a, in a chair, and the chair exploded. And as, he says as he's reading it, he slowly gets up out of his chair and he walks over to the couch. And then he lays on the couch and I'm like, well, then he's going to read an article that talks about a couch exploding. You know, I don't know. But, you know, that's what fear does. Fear gets our attention. I've shared with you, and I won't go into the detail, but there was a time when I got caught in a rip current uh, when I was a younger man, uh, newly married, well, nine, ten years, uh, in Virginia Beach. And it was very scary when you are trying to swim towards the shore and you've done it a hundred, hundreds of times before and you keep getting further and further out until you're totally exhausted. And, and praise God for a surfer guy a couple blocks away that came to my rescue. But you know that after that incident, all of a sudden I became acutely aware and every news reporter, every time I heard anything about a, a rip current, uh, and very soon I found out what you're supposed to do, that there's, a, there's something you're supposed to do uh, when you're in a rip current, and it's so counterproductive. You've probably heard this. A rip current is when you're trying to swim towards shore, but the undertow pulls you out. And your natural reaction is swim harder, swim faster, give more energy to go straight to shore, but what they say, most of you know this, but don't ever forget this. You want to swim parallel as you slowly go towards the shore, and that way it won't affect you. Now, I'm telling you, that, that incident helped me, and I've told my kids that several times. And, uh, and In fact, I was out with, with my son one time, and he said, oh, that's right, we went to Brigantine recently. And he was swimming and I saw, I thought, I think there's, a, I think there's an undercurrent in there. And, um, and he was out there. He was having a good time. But he came in and he said, Dad, what did you tell me about what happened to you at Virginia Beach? And I was able to share with him, um, you know, that knowledge, that little bit of knowledge about how you swim is important. But usually, see, when things like that happen, we're not really attuned to it if it's not something that affects us directly. And I want you to think about Jeremiah. Jeremiah is sitting here trying to warn these people, and he's using fear. Think of Jeremiah as a crash test dummy, trying to tell Israel what is about to happen because they're driving without their seatbelts. They're wandering away from God. 
They are embracing the gods of the Canaanites. They are worshiping the false gods. They're trying to mix their Christianity with Canaanite vile idol worship. And, and Jeremiah is trying to, trying to get them to pay attention, to sit up and pay attention. Look at verse 24, Jeremiah 6.24. He continues with this theme of fear. He says, we've heard the fame thereof. Our, uh, he's talking about this tribe of the north, the Babylonians we would know. We have heard the fame thereof. Our hands wax feeble. That's a picture of fear. Anguish hath taken hold of us and pain as of a woman in travail. See folks, there's a, a war coming. There's an enemy coming. And they are going to conquer Judah. And they are going to take these people away from their homeland and bring them into captivity for 70 years. Verse 25. Go not forth into the field, nor walk by the way, for the sword of the enemy, and fear is on every side. That's a phrase. Fear is on every side. Literally, the idea of the Hebrew is terror is everywhere. I'd call that a fear tactic, wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. Terror is everywhere. He, it's a very common expression in Jeremiah. Now let's back up for again for a minute. So Jeremiah's actually not trying to get them to fear man. He's trying to get them to fear God. Because God is the one that's in charge. And he's going to be unfolding that, that this once he identifies him, Nebuchadnezzar is God's servant. And he's a mighty army. They're going to come down. They're going to literally strike terror. And this... This is eventually going to be fulfilled. In fact, now we know, we're looking, we're now in the future. This has already happened. And Jeremiah had warned them. But Jeremiah wasn't trying to instill in them the fear of man. He's trying to instill in them the fear of God because they did not have it. When you get the fear of God, listen to what happens. Listen to some of these verses. Psalm 19 and verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Proverbs 10.27. The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. How can fearing someone prolong days? Well, let's listen to some more. Proverbs 14.26. In the fear of the Lord is strong confidence, and his children shall have a place of refuge. If Judah would learn to fear God, they would not need to fear Babylon. They would not need to fear an invading enemy. That, that at different points in our, in our messages from Jeremiah, there are times when clearly, in fact recently, remember, don't forget, Jeremiah is not chronological. And, and in fact, the part we're reading tonight is a poem about the tribe from the north. And it, it kind of jumps around chronologically. And we looked at a passage not too long ago where the enemy was right at the door. And that's, you know, that is fearful, fearsome. Some more verses. Proverbs 19.23. The fear of the Lord tendeth to life. And he that hath it shall abide satisfied. He shall not be visited with evil. Proverbs 15, 16. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Fear. Fear 
puts something at the forefront. And what needs to be at the forefront is God. We need to be consciously aware that there is a holy God watching our every move, responding to our our every action. Think about it. The Bible says God gives grace to the humble, but He resists the proud. You think about how many moments during the day you and I react to things. You and I uh, respond. Conversations we have. Somebody says something and our pride is insulted and we respond. God resists the proud. Think of how many opportunities we get to not look good and um, to, to be humbled and we learn to humble ourselves. What happens? God gives grace to the humble. Think, think of that. I want you to think of your day as God responding to you throughout the day because He is. He is, and that's what the fear of the Lord is. It's we, it's, we are made a, con- a conscious that God is there. Israel and Judah had forgotten that totally. And so some things, we need a little more fear. We need a lot of fear of God. Because again, fear brings something to our attention. You've heard of Louis Pasteur. He ended up benefiting us from some of his scientific studies. But you know, he was reported to have an extremely irrational fear of dirt. So that would be mysophobia, apparently he had. And uh, he refused to shake hands because he was so petrified of dirt. Another story about President Benjamin Harrison and his wife. Electricity had just come out. And they were so scared of the electricity, they did not want to touch the switch that would turn the light on and off because it was new. And, and things that are new can be intimidating. And the story is told that they were so fearful of electric, they would not, if, if, if somebody wasn't around to turn the lights off for them, they would sleep through the night with the lights on. Can you imagine that? Because of fear. Fear. It's an amazing thing. And yet, it's something that Judah did not have. They were going to have it but they did not have it. So look at Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 26. This is God, the correct response. O daughter of my people, gird thee with sackcloth and wallow thyself in ashes. Make thee mourning as for an only son, most bitter lamentation for the spoiler. That's pictures of the spoils of war. Someone that comes in, the destroyer. Speaking again of Babylon, the spoiler shall uh, come upon us suddenly come upon us so again look at verse 26 O daughter of my people gird thee with sackcloth that's a sign of sorrow wallow and ashes sackcloth and ashes was the outward sign of mourning and grieving and jeremiah was saying you need to act like one who has lost an only son understand the culture back in this day uh an only son was very important. Every father longed to have a son that would pass on the family name. And when you didn't have a son, uh, it, was, it was a big issue. And, and if you lost your only son, 
you're, you're basically your family was being stamped out. That's the way it was back then. And God is telling them to have that kind of fear. The fear of God, again, it is a, it's a wholesome awareness of being under the watchful eye of a holy God. By the fear of the Lord, the Bible says, men depart from evil. Why is that? Well, think of all the instances in Scripture. In fact, here's an example. In Ezekiel chapter 9 uh, and verse 9, God says, uh, it says, Then said he unto me, this is God speaking to, to Ezekiel, The iniquity of the house of Israel and Judah is exceeding great, and the land is full of blood, and the city full of perverseness. For they say, what, what made the people of Israel so wicked? Because this was their mentality. They said, the Lord hath forsaken the earth. The Lord seeth us not. When a people either ignore or believe that God has ignored them or stop believing in God, stop being conscious of God, then there's no accountability. Hey, God, there's no God. God's not watching me. I can do what I want. And that was their attitude. Again, the Lord hath forsaken the earth and the Lord seeth not. That's why the Bible says, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. When you are conscious that there is a holy God watching you, watching your actions, knowing your thoughts, seeing your responses, whether anyone else is around or not, it will radically affect the way you live. I'll never get over the fact, I love this when I first found this out, that in most state constitutions... America used to be a God-fearing nation. And even our leaders, those that didn't believe, uh, that, that didn't believe in the gospel, that, that were generally Christian, they had a fear of God. And they actually put it in their laws that if you're going to serve in government, now this would be so, people would be horrified just to hear this. But if you wanted to serve in government, you had to attest that you believed in a God where there were going to be rewards and punishments at the end of your life. Why did they do that? Because they, were, they understood this point. When people believe in God and know they're going to stand before Him at the end, it radically changes their life. Look at what's happening to our country. The more we walk away from God, there are less people that fear God. There's less people that have, are conscious of God. There's less people that go to church. I mean, it is, it is becoming uh, uh, um, very, very serious and, and widespread. Churches are closing. People are less religious than ever. And look at what's happening. People no longer fear God. I want to give an example, and then we'll close with, with um, a, state, uh, a short illustration I want to remind you of Joseph. Remember Joseph in Genesis 39? Joseph was a God-fearing man. And Joseph had worked his way up in Potiphar's house, became a trusted servant. And Joseph was tempted morally by Potiphar's wife. And Potiphar's wife got Joseph aside privately and... Lord him, tried to seduce him, 
And what Joseph said to her, he didn't know that his words in that private conversation would end up being published and read by thousands and thousands of people for years to come. But listen to what Joseph said. When he was solicited by Potiphar's wife, he said this, There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he, your husband, kept back anything from me but thee, because you are his wife, thou art his wife. And then listen to what he said. Listen, listen to this mentality. He said, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's a man who fears God. He is conscious. Here he is in this private setting. And he's being tempted, probably an attractive woman, by his response. And he's saying, how could I do that? It's, it was unthinkable to him. It would not be if he did not fear God. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You begin to fear God, it'll change you radically. I close with this. I recently heard the story, a testimony of a, a Navy SEAL, a veteran, a hero, an American hero, who was involved in an incident serving our country where he was the only survivor in, his, in, his, in the group of Navy SEALs that went on a mission. Uh, it, was, it was horrible. And he shares his story. And as he was sharing his story, he was sharing his training. No doubt, folks, this, this man is of peak discipline. He is a, a fighting machine. He is an American hero. He is a soldier. But he said this. He said, I am a God-fearing man. I grew up in a God-fearing family. And throughout his testimony, he was taking the Lord's name in vain, left and right, left and right. The word Jesus, the word God, just... And as I heard him, I thought, you're a hero, but you are, you are, you are not fearing God. You know, you can be a soldier, but... My, my prayer for my son is he'll be a, a soldier of integrity. I want to close by having you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 20. And again, I'm not being hypercritical. This guy served his country and, and almost gave his life. He is an American hero. But if you're going to claim that you are a God-fearing man, you need to understand what that means. You do not fear someone whose name you are taking in vain. Look at, look at uh, what did I say, Exodus 20? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. De what did I say, Deuteronomy what? 20. All right, Deuteronomy 5. It was either Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, and wouldn't you know it, I get, I get them mixed up. Tell you go to the right book, but the wrong chapter, or the wrong chapter in the right book. All right, so where are you going now? Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, okay. All right, De look at Deuteronomy 5. And by the way, Deuteronomy 5, and Exodus 20 are the Ten Commandments, okay? And I want you to look at the third commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5, and it is found in verse 11. This is the God of heaven, the God who created you. And he says this, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. That means taking the name of God, taking the name of Jesus and using it as a profanity. Using it 
dragging that name through the mud, not giving it the reverence it deserves, using it with every other expletive that you can imagine, you're going to claim to fear God. Look what this says. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. What does that mean? That means that everyone that utters profanity by taking the Lord's name in vain, damning God, taking the name of the precious name of Jesus Christ, and treating it as filth, what does God say? I will not hold you guiltless. And by the way, this man gave a very dramatic story uh, when he was in, in prison at one point, or no, he was sharing another story about our very famous American uh, book, novel. I forget what the book is. It was actually about a story of a man that was in prison. <coughs> and the man on, on, on the prison wall in this novel or book, he wrote the phrase, something about, God will give me justice. Anybody know what? Not, what it's a famous book. I forget what it is. Anyway. This, this soldier is saying that when he was in the worst part of, of, of you know, the battle and, and all kinds of things were happening and he was losing all the men that were serving with him, that was his, the thing that he quoted. My God, that's, he found comfort. My God will give me justice. And, and he will give him justice. But do you understand? If you're going to claim to fear God, you don't want justice if you're taking his name in vain. Because yes, God will give you justice. What did God say? You take my name in vain, I will not hold you guiltless. Now, I don't know whether you, you, you take the Lord's name in vain. Uh, you know, I mean, so many people are doing it nowadays. There's even hashtag words and so forth that just take the Lord's name in, in great vain. And, um, and you might think, well, you know, Pastor Lyon, you're trying to put guilt on me. Right, try. No, I just, same thing as Jeremiah is doing. Jeremiah was warning these people with every graphic, every, you know, be scared. He was, in other words, he's saying, listen, you are going to be wiped out. There's, there's this king coming. There's an enemy coming from the north. You are going to be, you, here's what's going to happen. You're not going to be able to run. Your women, your children, your, it's just going to be horrible. And he just, he just laments and cries, Jeremiah, the weeping prophets. What he's trying to do is not instill them the fear of man. He's trying to instill in them the fear of God. And if they would fear God, then they will be people of integrity. And then they will not need to fear man. So I want to encourage you. I don't know, you know where you're at. Um, do you fear God? How concerned are you about not pleasing Him? Are you conscious of the fact that He is... He's, are you aware of His presence? When you go home at night and you turn on your computer or your TV or you get on your iPhone or your iPad or whatever device and no one else is there, are you conscious? God sees me. God's looking down at me. And by the way, uh, it was mentioned briefly during the men's conference, but pornography is an, an epidemic today. And uh, I am so grateful there are... There is software, uh, one software that I recommend and some of the men in our church use is Covenant Eyes. Um, you know, and the, 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 um, the founder of that software 
made this statement a couple years ago. He said, accountability works. And they, they've, they've sold their, and, and hundreds of thousands of men are using that software uh, where people, other people are getting reports of everything they viewed online. Can you imagine that? What would happen if, if somebody got a report? What would happen if your wife, if you're married? Or what would happen if they got a report of everything you were looking at online? That'll... Now, here, here's what you got to do. That's what the fear of God does. That kind of accountability. That, and, and we need the fear of God. May God help us to fear Him so that we don't need to fear what man can do unto us. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Father, help us not to misunderstand the ministry of Jeremiah or Ezekiel or Micah uh, or Jonah, or any of these, these great prophets that, um, that preach doom and gloom, that preach judgment. Father, even Paul, Peter, preaching judgment, that, that those that heard him would tremble. Father, help us to understand there is a proper place for fear. And, and those that do not fear you right now are in trouble and don't realize it instill within all of us a healthy fear of you so that we might have that strong confidence and that we might have that place of refuge. Father, I pray that you would instill these things deep in our being and we'll thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's